Um, I guess for those listening, my name is Carter Good. Um, I have been uh, working in the fitness industry probably since like 2016. Um, started with like, uh, I was in college, then I dropped out of college and joined an internship working for um, like a bigger fitness company that does like information products. And um, from there, you know, started to gain a lot of interest. And I know you said that we'll talk about my weight loss story because that's obviously what got me into fitness. But um, but that kind of got me down the road of like internet marketing and then learning about online coaching. Um, and so I was in the internship for six months. I, I moved back home and spent about a year and a half building up my business to posting content, kind of doing the, the thing that um, all the coaches do, uh, mostly centered around like weight loss stuff, like more like fitness lifestyle kind of stuff, I would say. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing ever since then. I've gone through, through several iterations of the business from like just being myself to then having like a bigger team doing like the scaling model, like the Formosa type of a thing to, to realizing, um, I hated my life doing that. And then basically yeah. cutting ties with everyone. And then now I'm just kind of back to the coaching myself and then focusing a lot more on just like actually enjoying life. So, so, so you're, you're still coaching then. Yeah. Yeah. So like I do like all like one-on-one now, but, um, and, and I actually had a business partner for, for a lot of my, uh, business career, but, um, we're actually slowly parting ways not on bad terms, but just like shifting things. Um, and cause I kind of want to just shift into just doing things like really just on my own as lean and sort of less moving parts as possible. Dude, it's super funny because I've talked to a lot of people, um, a lot of other coaches, and it seems very much like everyone has the same arc. Like, yeah, everyone has the same arc. Everyone somehow starts to get popular on their own. Like, they start to make a name for themselves. Like, they start getting a little bit overwhelmed, like the amount of attention and inquiries and clients that they're working with. And then they scale really fast. They bring on a big team. They start to hire a bunch of assistant coaches. They hire like, like sales teams, they hire like admins, they start to, like you said, like that traditional model. And then they realize they hate their life doing that shit. Mm-hmm. And then they track all the way back into where it's just them. And then they rebrand and they start to do things their, their own way, the way they want to do it. But it's, it just seems like the same arc, just with a little bit different patterns here and there on it. And we, dude, I've been the same. Like it's been the same exact thing for me. We're like, I started off just me and I, dude, that was whenever we met. We met. Yeah. 2018, 2018 is probably when we met. Yeah. We, we met way back in the day. Um, and I, I don't know. I think that you were, you were a little bit ahead of me in the whole like business pro well, maybe not a little bit, maybe a lot of it in the whole business process. Um, but back then I was like super fucking overwhelmed. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then I started trying to scale everything. And I was like, well, I can just, I can just outrun everything. I'm going to scale as fast as possible, get to a point where like, this is like a self-sustaining machine. And then I'm just going to take a step back and like be the puppet master and oversee everything. And I'm never going to have to work again. And I'm going to be like a millionaire. And I do, I don't know. I don't know if it's the same for you, but I just expected things to get easier and they only got harder. Yeah. Well, I think it's a, it's a skill set, right? And, And this is where I think there's a, there's a fundamental difference between like being an entrepreneur and being a business owner. Right. Cause I don't think that they're, they're not mutually exclusive. And, and, you know, we have a lot of friends who have entrepreneur and a CEO. That's yeah, that, that yeah. exactly. Right. And, and we have a lot of friends who run companies that teach, you know, coaches how to scale and do this. And the thing with it is, is that our, our friends who do this are really good at doing that. Like it's, they're really good at helping somebody get to that point. And I think that, um, and this is probably what a lot of people are experiencing with that arc is that, you know, you can get there, but like 
you don't really know until you get there how it's going to feel, right? And especially, I mean, especially for me, I've been really fortunate to like never actually never had like a real job my entire life. Like I worked for my stepdad, but that was even like commission based. Like I never had like a nine to five job where I go somewhere, there are things or meetings and all this. And so like for me, like the pressure of like being responsible for employees, which I will say like it's fun to, it, the enjoyable part of it was being able to like create a lifestyle for the employees, right? And a lot of my coaches could do what I could have done, right? Whenever I first got started um, as far as like freedom of time and, and, and that. Um, but the other stuff of like managing expectations and, and to be completely honest with you, like just a simple like meeting on the calendar, like created so much stress and anxiety for me that it was, it was almost like embarrassing how much anxiety it was like ridiculous almost. Like I would look at my calendar and be like, oh, I have to have a sales huddle this morning. And then I have to have a coach's meeting, then this and this. And like, even if it was just like two meetings, like if it, if one meeting was at 11 AM and one was at like 2 PM, like I can't do anything in between there. And like, it destroyed my creative process. And yeah, yeah, it's also, yes. I also think too, that like uh, you know, people start businesses for different reasons, but what it all taught me was the recognition that, you know, I think we all want to make money and I think that's the collective goal. Right. But for me, what I care a lot more about is just choice, right? Just like being able to decide what I want to do and I can wake up and then decide like that, that freedom to me is what is really valuable. And it took kind of going through that experience to get there. Um, but now I appreciate it so much more. And so I wouldn't change anything. Um, but I do, a you know, Learning that has been a huge step for me in terms of just like actually enjoying what I do again. Yeah, no, no, I, I like how you put that. Um, and I, I think I would be, I would probably classify myself as similar. Um, I've gone through different iterations myself with what I feel like I value the most. There have been times whenever I'm like, I would answer for sure I value money the most. There are times whenever mm -hmm. I, would, I would say success, even though success is kind of like hard to define. There are other times whenever I would say, you know, like, I value freedom more, or I value like the, the freedom of choice to be able to do whatever I want to do. There are other times I might say like, I value status, right? Like I'm just like, mm -hmm. I want other people to think that I'm successful. And, um, all of those are a little bit arbitrary and a lot of them are, are somewhat vague, but, um, well, maybe not the money aspect. That's kind of, that's, you can kind of mess with that. But, um, but I, I feel like for myself personally, it's, it's been like this weird cycle of having a moving target as what I deem to be like the most valued or like the primary goal for myself. Um, and it's slowly starting to re refine back towards kind of like what you mentioned where I like that choice. I like to be able to do the things that I want to do. So mm -hmm. everything else kind of is a means to an end to that. So whether it's like success or status or money, like whatever can kind of buy me the time to be able to do the things that I actually enjoy doing, which I'm slowly starting to figure out as well. Um, you know, I really like to travel. I really like to just like write. I like to be creative. I like to, mm -hmm. to create things. Um, I like to be able to sit and fucking think about deep things, like deep thoughts, uh, because that's that's something that I feel like a lot of people don't have an opportunity to do. It's just like, yeah, yeah. And um, like whatever, just I want to go back to the business thing because it is interesting. But like, what do you feel like was your your weakness in business as like the the CEO or like the business owner? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was like setting vision and then like setting appropriate expectations for employees in that vision, mm -hmm. right? Um, easily the most, because that, that's what brought me the most stress. And even like when I've talked to like my employees in the past or even whenever they were working with me, like I was 
in my mind, my thought was they want me to be completely hands off. They want to be in their own world. Like I kind of treated them as if they were their own individual little entrepreneurs, right? Because that's how how I am, right? And what it did was it caused a lot of anxiety for them too, because there wasn't a lot of like, you know, future pacing of like, here's what the plan for the next month, here's the plan for the next six months, a year or whatever. And they would constantly question me on it. it would, question me on it, which would make me super stressed and frustrated. And then, you know, I wouldn't give them answers on things. And I would say that's probably, it's really the, to be honest, the leadership component of, of running a business, right? Um, that, that's probably the biggest thing. It was just like being able to actually take a bunch of people and like focus on one mission together. Cause I think that for me, I'm ready to jump ship at any moment with like new opportunities and things, right? Like, of course I, I'll see things through, but yeah. I also approach business. I, I'm not trying, since I'm not trying to build an enterprise, you know, I'm not trying to build this like legacy in a sense. Like I, you know, I'm doing this right now, but in two years I could see myself almost doing something completely different. Right. And I think that that fundamentally you know, would cause unsturdiness in, in, in the business, which, you know, ultimately kind of led to its demise in a sense. I, it's funny. I've actually struggled with similar things. Um, I have this kind of like head in the stars type of vibe to me where like, I'm always really yeah. the, the next thing that's going to like pique my interest or like get me excited. And what I find exciting is taking something and going from like zero to to one, right? Going from mm -hmm. that nothing stage to, all right, now we have something and this something is like pretty fucking cool and the something might be something bigger in the future. I have realized I'm not that great at scaling. I'm not great at going from like one to a hundred or one, one to a thousand, but it's my issue I think is more of like a managerial one. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm good with people, but similar to you, I'm not good with like managing expectations, mostly because like my expectations for people are, you are all mini me's. You all value the, value the same things that I do. You're all going to work this with the same intensity that I am. You're going to go or attempt to go above and beyond. You're going to be frustrated with, with stasis, you know, like all of those things. And I was not good at communicating those expectations to people as well. So whenever people would inevitably not live up to the expectations that I had because they were impossible, I would get frustrated and I would get really annoyed with people. And then all of a sudden it was like, all right, now I'm just done with you. Like, like you might've yeah. gone, you know? Um, so I feel like my issues were very managerial. Um, and, I, and that's for me why it's been important in our business to have someone who can be more of like that people person who can be like that liaison that will handle the people that will be like the manager. I'm better as like, I don't want to say like the, I hate it to use terms of like the visionary, right? Like being someone who can like yeah. be a little bit like higher up, think about things that we need to do, kind of like direct and point, make sure that like the company's steering in the right direction and just like get things moving that way. Um, but I'm not good at like handling all the minutia day to day and like being the manager and being the business owner. Like I, I've gotten better over time, but there's a reason why certain people are just fucking bosses at being CEOs or, or CMOs, you know, it's like, it's crazy how good certain people are at being like behind the scenes, puppet masters. Like they just know how to do that shit and they know how to get people motivated. Um, and I've found out slowly that I don't know if that's me. Maybe I'm just sh selling myself short there in terms of business, but like, do you feel similar to that? Well, what I think it is, I think it's like, you know, we could 
do anything, right? Like it's it's more about like what are we actually gonna do? And that's where for me, like I mean, because I, you know, I bought books on leadership. I was gonna like go to this conference to, to on it too, but like for me, the problem was like there was such little interest in developing, and that's where I think you know, in order to be somebody who's gonna you know build a multi million dollar you know company, like you kind of have to be somebody who's like you will do anything to get to that point, yeah. right? And so I recognize that like, it's not that I'm lazy. It's just that based on what I value, like I'm not willing to like do something that I don't (laughs) want to do in a sense. Right. Um, or develop a skill like that because like, it's not important enough to me. Right. Cause even going back to like, why do we start a business? Like with money, for example, like money is important to me, but only to the point where like now I don't think about money. Right. And I don't like live a lifestyle where like I have like Lamborghinis and, and things like this, right? Um, but my goal has always been to like never have to think about it, right? Go out to dinner. I don't look. I don't need to look at the check. It's like that's always been my 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 goal, right? And to get there, you don't need to do this other thing. And so I had this constant battle of like, especially too in in Austin where I live, I'm surrounded by all these high performance people who are scaling their businesses, who do have more of that mindset. And so I think what kept me stuck in it was I think I knew a long time ago that like it wasn't for me, but I'm like, but everyone else around me is doing this. So I got to do it too. And if I can't do it, then I'm going to be this, you know, failure in a sense. And I also think too, like you kind of mentioned earlier how like I was maybe like ahead. I I think that there was a period of time where I felt like people think that I are, are like looking up to me and think that I haven't figured out. And so I need to maintain this like, persona or this like you know whatever it is of being this highly successful person who's like you know way ahead in a sense but then um you know once i could detach from that which is taking a lot of time and i'd say it's still something i kind of struggle with but not nearly as much as i did like that's whenever i could actually sit down and be like oh this all sucks (laughs) and i pulled the plug pretty quickly so no and again it's it's a lot of managing expectations, but also perceptions too. That was something that I've, yeah. I've kind of struggled with because trying to figure out what is actually my own drives, my own needs for those successes versus what I feel like I'm trying to live up to from other people. Again, like that status thing, right? So it's like, am I chasing my own success or am I chasing someone else's perception of my success? And mm-hmm. I think whenever I started to realize that, it was a lot easier for me to re- to kind of like fall into the place that I needed to be and be comfortable with that. And I, I actually do appreciate a lot with what you said about just being comfortable with money in the sense that you don't have to worry about money. It's like money as the means to an end rather than money being like the end point. Whereas yeah. like some people, they like money is the sole driver for them. They see their bank account and they're like, I want to add another zero. But it's like, what are you going to do with that fucking money? Like insidious. Yeah, it's like you, you could have a hundred million dollars and that's dope. But like if you go from a hundred million to a billion, like what are you doing with that money? Like you have to have something else that's driving you because as at a certain point, it's like more money just it doesn't mean anything. It's just it's just more. So I mean, I guess certain people have like like philanthropic mm-hmm. wants, like they want to give back and they want to be able to like provide at a higher level and do more things with their money. And I think that that's super noble. Um, but yeah, like at a at a more medium level, you have to have something that's driving you that is not just purely money. It's like there needs to be something internal, intrinsic to you 
that's pushing you to like continue to wake up every day and like be driven and like try to build something that is like bigger than what you have. That's difficult though. It takes a lot of fucking energy and it takes a, it takes something more than motivation. Like you can't rely on motivation purely. You have to actually yeah. want to do those things because if not, you'll get to like that moderate level of success and just like chill. Like, all right, this is all I need. I don't need to do anything else. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Like I kind of dipped into that because it's been like, you know, figuring out sort of like, where do I want to spend my time? Like what gets me up and excited about things? And it's, you know, I, I realized that with what I was doing, like I actually wasn't even like putting myself in situations to figure out what that was. Right. And so like, Cause I always felt, and I don't know if you struggled with this, like, and even today, like I, I struggle with sometimes feeling like, oh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not, I'm not busy enough. Right. I'm trying to like fill my time with all these things. Um, but over the last, like, you know, several months I've spent probably less time working than I ever have in my life. And, and what it's allowed for is me to, you kind of talked about like being able to sit around and think is not, and I, 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 you know, can resonate a lot with that. Like it made me realize I don't sit around and just think about things around like what what do I want to do or or like ideas and, and all of that especially when you're kind of sucked into like the the business mode type of things and so allowing myself space to like not be so stressed about like oh is this going to work a year from now or two years from now or am I you know whatever it is to actually use this time to be like hey you can you can coast right now but instead of being I would instead of being like complacent being able to get comfortable so that I kind of have the space to like think more about what is the what is the next thing if there is a next thing or can I do something when I'm like what I'm doing now but differently and all of that and so um kind of getting out of the rat race in a sense um and then focusing more on like you know which I guess path do I actually want to take instead of just following one till it gets to the top yeah like the value of deep thought I think yeah. it's so fucking underrated because we're so used to like always being go 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 having like a jam-packed schedule is seeing like, all right, call at 10, meeting at 10.30, client work 10.30 to, or 11 to like, you know, one. It's just like, bam, 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 bam. There's always something to do. But like just being able to sit down, close your eyes, think, or just look at a problem for multiple hours at a time, or just sit down and like write and, you know, draft up an article, draft up a proposal or whatever the fuck you want to do, but just be undistracted and allow your brain to like kind of settle into whatever problem that you're trying to figure out it's it's honestly hard to articulate like how useful that can be especially whenever you're trying to do hard things like yeah like doing hard things or solving hard problems um it requires like actually being able to use your fucking brain and i know that sounds so basic but you can't use your brain if you're always distracted and always mm -hmm. from one thing to the next you can't think deeply and I'm sure a lot of people can like resonate with that and they understand like what I'm saying without maybe even understanding what I'm saying or maybe being able to feel that. But whenever I previously was in just like this go, go, go mode all the time, just always stressed, always anxious, I realized it was so hard for me to actually like settle into like a deep thought pattern because my brain was not used to it. Like my brain was just so used to being like surface level and everything and not actually working very hard. It was like, all right, like I can get really simple problems done that I'm very like technical at, like I'm very good at solving these specific problems, but ever it came to like anything that I wasn't very comfortable with, like anything business related is like, all right, mm -hmm. like, you have this big problem in the business that is going to take a little bit of time to deal with or like this next 
pivot that we need to make that we're going to like keep up with whatever you know direction the, the industry is going in like what do we need to do like how do we go about doing this like how do we stay ahead like all of a sudden you actually have to like kind of think abstractly and like abstract thinking requires really just like like settling in and blocking off your calendar and like closing your blinds and not allowing yourself to be distracted um but once i realized that and i started like planning like full days of no real work like it's like all right saturdays i'm not gonna have anything on my schedule i'm not gonna do any client work i'm not gonna have anything that is like distracting even just like sitting down and like laying on the the couch and just chilling and reading a book it's like you'll have these like weird epiphanies where it's like oh shit how did i never fucking think of this before you know yeah once those light bulbs go off it's like almost hard to get them to stop going off yeah no i i completely agree and i think and this is sort of still in line with what we're talking about, but I also think another reason why that can be difficult too um, is especially whenever you get into your, put yourself in a situation where you're allowing yourself leisure time and just like time to just kind of do nothing and think. Um, I think that for me, um, the problems that that created was is sort of brought to the surface, uh, maybe even like problems that, were affecting business but maybe even more related to like personal problems like it, it, it kind of like it as soon as you eliminate distraction the things that are you know the biggest problems in your life which can be business but it could also be the personal or whatever and when you're a business owner obviously they all kind of tie together can start to face you and then and, and so like i think that that's another reason why a lot of people maybe don't do it and it's why i mean i've struggled to do it and i still do and definitely gotten better in the last several months um from things that we'll, we'll talk about but um i think that like i think that's another thing that is there it's like not a lot of people are comfortable in that situation because it feels like not only are you not making feels it doesn't feel like immediate progress but i also think it makes you have to like really reevaluate what you have been doing which can go down a whole other rabbit the hole of like decision making for yourself that can you know even span outside of business at least that was the case for me yeah a lot of highly driven people are really busy and stay really busy not just because they're highly driven but also because they kind of have some ghosts too they're like all right i want to yeah i'm not thinking about all of this shit that i would otherwise have to address if i was not busy um no i've actually been there i've been there before sometimes like keeping yourself distracted is the only way to avoid thinking about the shit that you actually should be thinking about though. Like, like we'll, we, we will talk about this, but a lot mm -hmm. of times, if it's something that is like under the surface, eventually it's going to bubble up. You're going to have to address mm -hmm. it at some point. So you can only distract yourself from that issue for so long. Granted, like maybe short-term distractions aren't that bad if you're like grieving or something, but other times if it's like a relationship issue or if it's like, you know, some other personal issue or if it's, you know, some shit that you've just been like waiting to deal with for fucking ever and you just keep pushing it off. Like distractions will only go so far, especially like business distractions, because in that way, you're kind of handicapping yourself in two areas. In business, you're not allowing yourself to like really take advantage of the brain power that you bring to the table. And then the personal side or like, you know, the non-business side, you're not really addressing certain shit that would potentially help you take it back over to the business or just in general in your life if you were to just eliminate that off your plate you know um but no that's actually a good opening because now we can start talking about some of like the more personal personal life stuff i guess um the weight loss thing that is personal life it kind of ties into fitness but we talked before we got on here before we started recording about how we've known each other for fucking ever i know about your weight loss journey but i don't really know like the details of it i don't know how yeah about so like dude just walk me through that like what that looked like how you actually 
got to that point of needing to go through that weight loss transformation? And then like, you know, what was the impetus for actually getting yourself through that? Yeah, no. So, um, so for me, I basically my, so I grew up in like Southern Ohio. So, I mean, close to then you're, you're in Columbus still. So like, you know, pretty close in that area, but you kind of know the general feel of maybe a small town, Ohio, right? Like not super healthy. And it's, um, you know, more, more in the country and stuff. And just growing up, most of my family, like not my immediate family, but my extended family, you know, struggle with their weight. And so it was very much that sort of a situation, but, um, yeah, like I growing up was always just a little bit overweight and and I always had like a very interesting like relationship with food. And it's actually something I'm I'm very interested in because even today how I think about food is a lot different than like a lot of my friends who are like naturally like don't struggle at all with their weight, right? And, and things which makes me, you know, wonder at like how much of like, you know, just genetics and, and whatever plays a role in like how your body thinks about food. But, um, but again, like struggled my weight most of my life. And then, um, whenever I was 15, so, so also growing up. So my dad's a pastor of this very small town. Right. And my mom is, um, she's kind of like the person in the small town. Like she was like the star athlete. She like holds records for track. She like went to college full time for, track and volleyball right so my parents are kind of like in the small town like oh we know who the good families are right uh, or who the good family is so um they were sort of like the picture perfect marriage in a sense right like three three boys you know we go to church on sunday our last name's good all this stuff um and what's funny is like growing up my parents never argued or anything like um it, it just seemed like a very picture perfect kind of situation right but whenever i was 15 my parents like sat us, me and my brothers down and they said they were getting a divorce. Right. Um, and I think that like, you know, a lot of parents get divorced, but I think in that situation, I think it was such a breach of just understanding of reality. Cause like my parents would literally like, they would have people come to the house who were struggling in their marriage and they would counsel them. Right. And then you're like, wait a minute, what the heck? Right. And then I had this whole thing of, um, and this is actually another super interesting topic around like religion too, um, about how like my entire life, I never believed once that there was a God and like this whole thing. And so I always sort of felt like, not that I was like being pressured into it, but like always a little bit like shameful or guilty that like I wasn't, uh, you know, like everyone else in this sense. And so when my parents got divorced and, and initially like my thing was like, like what the fuck? Like you guys are just going to do this. And like, I've been suppressed my whole life. And so like I went from 15 until I was like 16, I gained like a hundred pounds. So it's like clear, like how did I cope with this? Right. Um, and so I got up to my heaviest weight as I over three, just right over 300 pounds. Um, and so for most of my high school career, that's kind of where I sat, um, was like right over 300 pounds. And, um, you know, I, again, I think also the fact that like with, it being such a small town, like I was very much like I wasn't partying or doing any things and it was kind of very isolating too. And so like, I didn't have like a lot of peer pressure to, to change it or all or change it or anything. Um, but whenever I did decide to lose weight, it's just such a stupid cliche thing, but there was a girl who I thought I had like this connection with or whatever. It was kind of like the first girl I ever felt safe, like, you know, leading into. And I thought that she was giving me signs or whatever. And then like, hardcore friend zone mode, right? 
um, understandably. But then uh, that, though, was another one of these moments where it's like, all right, my parents got divorced and then this thing happened. And I was just like so pissed off that I'm like, you know, fuck this girl. I'm going to lose this weight. And so I started like, you know, I think I went on bodybuilding.com and I found Steve Cook's big man on campus uh, article and I took his cutting diet and I just cut it in half. So I was probably eating like 1200 calories, yeah. I guess. Right. Um, and lost weight very quickly. And then after like losing like 30 pounds, it kind of switched to this thing of like, oh, wait a minute. This is like something I'm I'm good at. Yeah. Right. Like I, I felt like I really took that owner. I was like, oh man, like this is exciting. It's something I feel like I'm making progress with and I'm, I'm good at this. And so, um, you know, everybody who's ever been in the fitness industry or been into fitness, right, for themselves or whatever, um, has there's like that one to two year period of time whenever you first get into fitness where it's literally all that you think about. It's all you like you care about, you're all you're reading about. Like I'm watching like Christian Guzman on YouTube, I'm watching they were called the Hodge twins. I think they're like conservative. They are. They're like, the comedians now. Yeah, like political pundits now. Yeah. Super I, the reason I know that is because my mom, um, my stepdad, um, you know, they're sweet people and everything, but they're kind of like a little bit like Fox News kind of people, yeah. right? Um, and so uh they she showed me once, she's like, Oh my gosh, you would think these guys are so funny. And she put them on the TV and I'm like, What in the what the fuck? It was like Hodge tw- the Hodge twins. <laughs> Don't you guys talk about fitness? So um, but yeah, I was they very like, much. They were like fit. They were like fitness YouTubers, and then they were comedians. Yeah. And then yeah, and then they're like now political authorities. Who fucking yeah, yeah, weirdos. But um, but anyways, yeah. So I got very obsessed with it, and then went through that whole thing, and and it was like right at the end of high school. Is whenever I like, I was sort of at like I, I'd lost the most weight that I had ever lost, like 145 pounds. Um, and then I went off to college and. For most people, college is awesome. Yeah. But for me, it was maybe the worst period of time in my life. Like most, I mean, a lot of it's self-imposed, but I think it's because just from my upbringing and like not really having much of a social life um, and kind of always feeling restricted a bit, like going off to college and having that freedom, I didn't really know what to do with it. And then you tie on top of that, my fear of, at that point, I'm still afraid, like I'm going to gain all this weight back. Like I don't have that trust yet in, in myself. Um, and so I really just like isolated myself. So I was like the kid in the cafeteria eating like boiled eggs and like, you know, and I also had to eat on the meal plan, which freaked me the, the fuck out at that time in my life. Cause I was so used to like tracking my macros, having like my scale, all this stuff. And so like, this is a very stressful time, but kind of through that, that's whenever I started getting introduced to more of like the, like nutritional science. So like I found like Alan Aragon around that time, like Lane Norton, like those types of guys and actually started learning about, you know nutrition and like body composition stuff um and then i would say honestly and there was not really a moment where because people always you know come to me who like talk about like how did you heal your relationship with food or do a lot of these things and i mean for me it was honestly just like knowledge and information and like the more i learned about food really helped and so um so yeah that, that was kind of it and then obviously was still very interested in that which kind of took me down the path of like you know i would see guys like um, there's this old, old school, like fitness marketer, his name is Rusty Moore and probably maybe one person knows of him. So he used, he has this company, he had the fitness black book, which was like 2008. And it was kind of like, he kind of like brought the whole like workout, like nutrition PDF thing into the, the okay. world, right. Okay. And so I was really into him and then, but I started to get into the business side of him too. I'm like, Oh, this is awesome how he's doing this. And so started blogging and stuff. And that's how I eventually got into the fitness coaching stuff, but. 
that was we already talked about that but yeah that was that's kind of the weight loss story in itself yeah no um it's so did you ever have like any issues after you lost all that weight initially where you started to kind of rebound or like you gained some weight back or like once it was off did it just fucking stay off and you just did a good job of like keeping it off yeah i think i mean it stayed off and i think one of the major reasons it did to be honest is because at that point my life was so much about fitness and then like even now like um I mean, you know, maybe I, you know, knowing myself, I'm a very like anal person, very like, so like I probably would not have allowed it. Cause it was also one of these things where it felt like the first real accomplishment in my life. Cause it happened at a very pivotal age too, of like 15 to 17, 18. Right. And so it was like this and, and like the, the, the feedback I was getting from like girls getting more attention from girls and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I think the fact that like I stayed in the world after I lost weight, like really helped me personally stay at a healthy body weight um i also think it pushed back some of maybe the more personal problems that were related to the the weight gain issues to begin with um but i think that that helped me kind of keep it off yeah yeah like you mentioned that you really started getting into like the nutrition science the food science aspect of it once you got into college that even with like the initial weight loss were you like training or was it really just like strictly diet at the very beginning and then you just slowly started creating like the training like component later on yeah i think once i w- started to go through that like self-obsessed phase yeah. at weight loss where you're like looking at yourself in the mirror every day and like trying to that's whenever and i started watching more stuff like i started to realize oh i should be working out too and so i'm actually like i stumbled upon like lifting weights um also my dad lifted weights too and so like it was i it was nice to have him like sort of like tell me hey you should start lifting weights too and so i was i was really fortunate that i actually started doing it like pretty early on in in, like the weight loss journey which i know helped a ton probably with like getting leaner and then also being able to keep it off just you know from being in a better position metabolically with having more muscles so now so you did mention like some of the things that you were kind of maybe suppressing after the weight Mm -hmm. loss like what are some of those things that you're referring to? Yeah, I think, you know, man, this is the, this is the rabbit hole. Um, th- there's a lot of them. I, I think that, I mean, definitely the, the divorce thing, but I think that it got even bigger than that because I think that there have been a lot of things growing up, especially around religion and, and kind of being a pastor's kid and things and, and kind of living in this situation where like, you know, you don't hold the same belief as everybody else, but you're put in a position to where like you are supposed to be bought into it entirely. Right. Um, and for me, I think that like, cause one of my biggest ongoing things that has always come up in therapy and is really like the, the, the fuel behind a lot of like the decisions I make has always been like avoidance of like shame and disappointment. Right. And a lot of people pleasing has come from that. Right. Um, and I think that like, those are the things that even after I like lost weight and then I grew a following, like I was still sort of crippled by in a lot of ways, which then kind of showed up in like relationships. Um, I think it's even showed up like in, in business with how I built businesses, right? Like kind of like not wanting to disappoint people and, you know, have shame around people and things like that. Um, but those are, those are some of the bigger things. I kind of forgot your question. I want to make sure I'm moving in the right direction. No, yeah, no, you're good. Though. You're good. Like just, just talking about like some of the impacts of like the post weight loss journey and like some of the things mm-hmm. that you're pressing, potentially like needed to, to really address, but we're maybe using like the weight loss as a means to avoid addressing. 
and like this doesn't even really have to be like physiological oh you know that dude i well i know that like you and i had talked previously about like some of the like hormonal issues that you were having even like years after the weight loss and that's i don't think something that people necessarily think of whenever they are a bit heavier but even going through like a weight loss journey but um like you could obviously go into as much depth about something like that as you want to because i'm not going to put words in your mouth but like you know there are am. the repercussions that people don't necessarily think of whenever there is a large shift in lifestyle like that yeah and that's actually so i would say so so two things maybe one psychological one physiological because that just reminded me of things as far as like the psychological stuff goes like i think that weight loss created gave me an identity for the first time in my life right and that's why i think i leaned on it so heavily and um even at points now like have like some resentment around some fitness stuff i think just because of like it was i was doing it at a point where there were so many unhealthy things going on in my head that like that's what i needed right um but i would say that but also physiologically that's a really big one is like I think that I, for most of my life, did struggle with or struggle with like my hormone health and stuff and like always had low testosterone. And I even wonder sometimes like, like I want, like I assume that that may even have played a role in like not being able to like maintain a healthy, because like, to be honest, and even to this day, um, and now I'm not sure if I've even told you, I'm actually on TRP now. Uh, oh yeah. was just, we were talking yeah, about it. Yeah. Just awesome. Just freaking awesome. <laughs> right. But like, I still have like a super fast metabolism, but like after I had lost weight, I remember I got in, I went in to get my blood results done. And I'm trying to remember the reason why I did it. Um, I can't remember, but no, I think it was cause like whenever I was like 17 years old, like I had like my first girlfriend and like, I had no, like I didn't, I was like, I couldn't have sex. Like I just, like I didn't, it's the first, I'd never even like realized until I was in that moment. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this isn't like working right and so um 17 years old too so i'm like what the hell is going on um, happen at 17 exactly yeah, right yeah. i mean again luckily i had the fear of god in me so i wasn't like i was kind of looking <laughs> anyways so maybe it was the matter of god not the- it might have been the fear of god nope. he might have been yeah yeah he might have had the the hold on it but um i think i went in and got my numbers tested like and this was also right after i'd lost weight so i'm sure things maybe rebalanced but like you know it's turning terms of like the numbers go i think it was like 127 nanograms per decil or whatever the was it newer per deciliter yeah yeah so like 100 and and did not have any thyroid was like it was like super super low um but at the time they just didn't do anything about it like i'm trying to think back on it right now because like for my hormone jury has been a huge part of the last three years but like at the time i think they maybe just said like oh it's because you lost a lot of weight it'll come back and then um it continued to be a minor problem in my life for a while and then once i got down to austin that it's kind of like enough was enough and i started to really struggle with like motivation and just like like depression and things and it i in my mind was like a lot of this has to be related to, to maybe this what's going on and i went and got my numbers tested again and it comes to find out that my total testosterone was like in the acceptable range like by by numbers it was like 300 or something right so like doctors wouldn't say anything but they had never t- tested my free testosterone, which was literally like, and I don't know the range for that. I'm sure you do, but like my, it was like 0.8. Yeah, that's not ever. It should be like three point one point or 3.6 to like 12 point something, right? And so it didn't even exist. And so like, and I've heard that like, that's what makes your testosterone like usable, yes. right? And so anyways, tons of hormone issues there, but 
now that I'm on testosterone, I'm like, why didn't I just, I, I wish I was going to wait until I was like in my thirties, but now I wish I would have done it younger just cause like I may just be one of these people who struggles with it. Right. For, for one reason or another. So. Well, that's like a, a broader point. Um, like I've had these conversations with people before where like, if you don't have a moral or ethical or no, health related reason why you wouldn't want to take TRT or any kind of like hormone replacement, like if you have below standard or below normal levels of hormones, you need to go on hormone replacement therapy. Like, Damn. like it will improve your life significantly. And I think people just assume that there's like a health risk or a, a greater health risk associated with taking something like exogenous, like TRT, like exogenous testosterone. Mm -hmm. They don't also understand that having low or low average levels of those hormones is also dangerous. Like it's deleterious. You're putting yourself at risk for health issues that are related to having suppressed levels of those hormones. Um, so it's like having average or at least average, if not above average levels of testosterone or any kind of other hormone, thyroid hormone or, or growth hormone, whatever. Um, like th that's good. You need that. Your body needs that shit to function normally. Um, much less like if you're someone who is active or who needs to be performing above average, like if you're you know, very into fitness or, you know, if you are a fucking CEO and you have like this very high paced, high activity, high, high drive lifestyle, like if you're running a four hours of sleep and like slamming fucking grams of coffee a day, like your shit's probably going to be pretty fucked. And then if it's yeah. like, you're going to be really not performant. So people just don't understand that shit. And again, I'm not a doctor and I'm not going to like prescribe anything to people. I'm not going to tell them what to take, but my general recommendations are like, dude, if you are ever considering going on this shit, like if you would go on it at 30, you might as well just go on it at 26 or 27, especially yeah. if you're already starting to suffer from some of those issues of having low. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually funny. Cause this just reminded me about like some of the first times that we hung out in Columbus. I, you were trying to convince me to like start like dude just get on just start taking best austin like just start do it just do it and i'm like oh no i'm not i read somewhere online that i should be 30 before i do it because it'll but i was already struggling but i also think too like taking a very like like natural like because i need to take it enough like I'm, I'm at like 200 uh a week or whatever yeah. um again i'm so bad with the with the labels of things but um but like that's even that's not going to take me out of like where my levels were out of like an unnatural range. Right. Yeah. And so, and I think I go back to what you said. It's like, how many things do we do all the time that maybe add value to our life, but like could, you know, have some additional risks. Right. I mean, it's like, and I think that for something like this, where it's like, the, again, like avoiding the negatives of what would happen if your numbers are low, not just health wise, but I think also decision making wise, like that's even been one thing that I've noticed, like, like I have like more self-regulation, like more autonomy. It's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I just operate yeah. as like a better human being, which, you know, just trickles down to every decision I make in every area. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely team take the T now. Well, <laughs> people, uh, I, I, I've found are extremely contradictory in what they express to be like their risk tolerance versus what they actually are oh yeah it's just they like to virtue signal with certain things it's like certain certain things are either like their hill that they're going to die on whereas other things are like it's so much easier to just brush off right like there will be some people that will say like bro i'm i'm never gonna 
I'm never going to eat meat because meat causes cancer. But then they'll like drive a motorcycle, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like, okay, that seems a little bit contradictory. Like, get drunk every weekend. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's people will express like their health risk tolerances or they'll try and virtue signal with those things. But then, like, the other aspects of their life, like, they're not consistent with that. I think that testosterone or any kind of like hormone replacement, or even like if we're talking about like super physiological levels, right? So, like, a bodybuilder or anyone, yeah. I guess you could say, abusing these types of hormones, these types of drugs. Usually the people that give them the most shit are the ones that are going out on the weekends and getting hammered at bars. You know, it's like, yeah. you, you have you have to figure out where your spectrum is. Like, is it like an ethical issue? You're talking about a health issue, right? Because if it's a health issue, you have to look in the mirror as well. And you have to start like really tidying up your shit. If it's a moral or ethical issue, you have to like really figure out why you have an ethical issue with someone who is taking something like testosterone but not cheating in a sport or not lying about it, right? Like you're super fucking open. You're like, yeah, I take TRT. I'm really open about the fact that like, I also take TRT. So like, I'm not competing in a sport. I'm not cheating anyone out of anything, but there will still people be people that will look at us and automatically have this like in, internal feeling of like resentment because they, they see us as like cheating. And I'm like, what are we cheating? Like we're, we're improving our life. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. We're living a better life because of this. Like, I, I definitely know that I have more energy. Like I, I feel better. I look better. Like I recover better. Like my, I'm able to sexually perform better. Like those types of things. Like I feel much more like a health, a healthy male should at 29. Granted, like, do I love giving myself a shot? No, it sucks. Like, I, I, oh, I, here's what I was going to say. Are you on, I'm on the subcutaneous life now. And it's oh, awesome. Really? Oh, cause I was already doing like peptides, like some yeah, yeah. peptides. So now that like, cause like, I'm like, like doing that is so easy. You do it twice a week. And so like, that was actually one of the things I was like, who's going to jab me with this big ass needle in her? Like, I'm such a pussy. I can't, I'm going <laughs> to fucking do it myself. But now that you can just do a subcutaneous, it's like, it's almost fun. I almost get excited to do it. Dude, I, I'm so, I honestly hate sub Q shots more than I hate intramuscular. What? All right, so this demented shit. It's not a pain thing, all right? I feel like sub Q shots are annoying. They're they're okay. they're annoying because they're just they're just painful enough to be like a bee sting where I'm like, I just don't like this. Like this is unenjoyable to me. And yeah. and especially like I so I take growth. Like I just take like a replacement level of growth and I've been doing mm. it for like a while now, but just like two IUs a day whenever I remember, which is honestly not all the time. But um but like for me, I've gotten so fucking over giving myself sub Q shots. Yeah. In the morning. I'm like, I hate this more than anything. Like I'll literally open my fridge and just like see like the vial of growth sitting there. And I'm like, yeah, like I'm not, no, I'm not. Yeah. Today. Like it takes 30 seconds. I'm like, I'm not doing this shit. Like I don't want to do it. And so it's funny because like the, the I am shots, I feel like at this point, like I don't like doing them, but they're just so they're infrequent enough, at least in my yeah. To the point where I'm like, I can suck it up and do an I am shot. Yeah. Something annoying as fuck about a substitution. Yeah. Makes you feel something. Come on, those shark needles. Yeah. No. If I had to do, now I will say, whenever I was doing like the peptides, like the CJC1295 for a while, um, which like now looking back, I'm like, just take testosterone. It's like, it's like a thousand times more expensive than testosterone too. And it's like, that would help you so much more. But with that, you did it every single day. So if I had to do it every day, that maybe would change my mind. But two yeah. times... It works out, so. Dude, isn't it funny how people come up with every excuse to not take ster steroids? Like, they'll take yeah. 
pro hormones. They'll take peptides. They'll take like all of these other fucking things that are honestly more expensive, more dangerous, more unregulated. Yeah. It's taking testosterone, but like mm. with every, people will come up with every fucking excuse, every way to perform mental gymnastics to say that, oh no, I'm still natural. I'm not, I'm not like taking PEDs. I'm just taking this random fucking peptide blend that I got that is basically doing the same fucking thing. Yeah, I think it's a conspiracy theorist, honestly. I mean, it obviously, it's actually in the fitness. And well, if you're, so for me, like, I, well, first off, my hips are way too wide to win any bodybuilding competitions. So it's already out of the window, right? Like, there's no way. This isn't, this isn't a, I don't have the Frank Zane look, right? Um, and so my, that goals were already shattered. So, like, since I think I don't, I literally could give, like, zero fucks about powerlifting, bodybuilding, like anything, just, just personally, right? Like, like, I think that, like, I maybe jumped over it. But it's funny, though. I do remember, like, whenever I was really into it, like, how big of a deal it was. And I, and I, want, I always think through, like, how it started and even, like, the fear-mongering around it, too. And it has to be from, like, more of the, like, people taking, like, insane amounts, right? Yeah. Because, because I haven't even done much of the research on, like, like what's what I'm taking. I mean, I've done, I've done some, right? But, like, it's also, whenever I look into it, I'm like, it doesn't really look like there's that much bad stuff going on at all for the amount that I'm taking. Right. Like it's, there's not really any, it's usually like the extremes yeah. or anything else. So what happens is like whenever you have any kind of media campaign, so it's the same thing. And we can actually talk about this here in a second, like psychedelics and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But anytime there's like a, a coordinated media campaign to demonize anything, the public perception gets warped so far that all of a sudden that thing is deemed bad, even if they don't know what that thing really is. Right. So like you can see this, I think it was like in the twenties where there was like the reefer madness stuff where like everyone yeah, yeah. was terrified of weed. Right. Yeah. And like in the sixties and early seventies, it was psychedelics because psychedelics were like an anti-war yeah. associated thing. Right. So like the government had an incentive to demonize psychedelics because people who, who were doing psychedelics were like, commies and they were anti-war mm -hmm. and they once protesting and they were thinking too much yeah they were th yeah, they were thinking too much right mm -hmm. um but then with with peds with like testosterone and growth hormone and all those things and all of like the more chemical names that people don't actually know what they are like you know decadurabal and anadrol and and like you know dianabol all of these things so in the 90s and early 2000s it was big in sports right so like the olympics major yeah well, baseball yeah so like all of these scandals started to happen from, I mean, I would say it was probably like nineties, like early two thousands, whenever it was starting to get really big and like Lance Armstrong. So like it was, it was yeah. prevalent in every fucking sport, but because there were like these coordinated media campaigns to demonize all these athletes and paint them in a picture of liars, cheaters, like, you no, know, they're like swindling out, swindling everyone out of money. And like, they're not actually like, what they're portraying they're not actually you know like yeah superstar athletes they just got there because they were they were cheating right so then that like really demonized well it was probably a little bit before that but like i think that especially like bodybuilding was still niche enough like in the 70s 80s like there weren't enough people really doing like peds on a grand scale to where everyone started to notice but i think it was like the PEDs infiltrating major league sports in the Olympics to where people, yeah. okay, we have to take a stand on this. They're really bad. We can't allow this to continue to happen. So all of a sudden PEDs were associated with bad, with cheating, with lying and all these things. Um, so then I think that's where like the virtue signaling has started to like prop up now. 
Yeah, well, also, too, it's probably been, and I jump into this to where, like, you know, the, the accessibility of being able to, like, like, with me, like, I have a teledoctor there in Florida, like, and they, like, they do order, like, it's, I think that accessibility has not really ever been something that was there, too, and so, like, you know, your heroes are doing testosterone, so now kids are trying to take testosterone, and they're doing it the wrong way, what are they actually getting, what's the quality of these things, right? And so it's like, you know, I can see where that, that whole thing came from. But now I think especially like, you know, with testosterone levels plummeting, which is a whole other conspiracy theory that I definitely think is something real that's going on right now. And, and like, you know, I think it's becoming more of like an accepted thing um, for the general public. But well, dude, maybe so, it is. I'm... Well, I don't know about the conspiracies, but I do want to talk about like the this is general drug use, like recreational, yeah. recreational drugs, um, because... <laughs> I feel like this is how I love we, drugs. This is how we started to to get to know each other was yeah exclusively through our love of recreational drugs. Yeah, um, yeah, that's how our, our bond just formed back in the day. Uh, but no, like it's funny because we we've had like our our goblin years where we've just mm -hmm. been like very degenerate. Um, and I don't know if we're necessarily past that, but I I feel like I'm starting to like. Being like my my moonlight era, right? Where I'm starting to get, yeah. I'm like, all right, you know what? Like, I don't really need to be doing this anymore. Like, mm -hmm. this was fun, but like, I need to be a little bit more purposeful about it. Um, and like the purposeful, I feel like the the natural arc of like being purposeful with drug use is starting to like shift more. To like, okay, like what is like the psychedelic scene? Like the directed psychedelics, mm -hmm. um, the more like ceremonial psychedelics. Like, what does that look like to be done in a way that is like actually useful, productive, safe, um, meaningful, right? So. My first real like experience with purposeful drug use was the mushroom ceremony that we did a couple of years ago. Wait, was that was that really? That was like the first like like setting like that. Yes, that was the okay. first. Yeah. That was the first time I had done um, psychedelics in like a structured setting like that. Mm -hmm. And was that like was that not for you? I had done them actually. Now that I think about it, I guess in terms of like there's a, there's a shaman watching yeah, over yeah. it. Like I had like with my friend and and he talks about them openly too. The Sean McDevitt, uh, yeah. the shaman never like him and I have done like moments with like doing mushrooms where like the goal isn't just to get fucked up. Like the goal was like for him and I to, like spend time together, then like talk through things or whatever. So I guess in in terms of a, a full on organized thing, I guess you're right. Actually, that was my first like. There's a shaman here, and it's kind of more of like a spiritual kind of approach to it versus just like two dudes getting high kind of a thing. So, yeah. And it was, I'm sure that you can probably also echo this, but it was a completely different experience from what I had had before with yeah. any, any kind of recreational drug. Um, well, especially psychedelics too, because that was like, it was just, it was just very, I mean, obviously psychedelics are hard to explain, but it was just very like, like, unified i don't know if that's like the best way to put it but i i felt very much like i was in tune with like every single person there like you you and i had like a really random like goofy app if it wasn't for me and if it wasn't for you and me for you we would have zapped off into the somewhere else we were like yeah, yeah, i know yeah we'd have been like james man yeah. uh, but <laughs> but like that that was one of those things where I think we would both say it was like difficult in the moment. Like it was a difficult mm -hmm. thing to go through, but on the other side of it, you're like very happy that you went through it, especially with like the people that you did it with. And then like you, you just form like a, a bond and attachment with those people. It's almost like not a trauma bond, but it's like, we just went through something difficult together. 
and like we learned a little bit more about each other and like this is cool like this is something we're gonna keep forever it's like an experience that like we're always gonna cherish um and i know that like i felt like that very much afterwards it always sounds so spiritual and like kind of like metaphysical talking about it in those ways but like anyone who has done those types of of ceremonies or like more like ritualistic psychedelic experiences i feel like yeah. we like echo that but you, you can't avoid it what do you say i said you can't i because i'm very much like not woo woo or, or traditionally yeah. very anti-religion right but i think once you start to experience them there's no other way to explain the, yeah. the certain things right and so and yeah that that's also something that i've talked about before um like i i'm not religious but like because of my experiences with psychedelics it's hard for me to say that i'm not spiritual because like once you have those experiences there's really no way to explain being in that realm or like being in that that mm-hmm. frame of of experience um it's just it's just so different but like recently you did yeah a little bit more right so like yeah back then we did a mushroom ceremony uh recently yeah. you did bufo so do you want to explain like kind of what that is yes and i will do my absolute best to use words for something that has no words at all but so for people listening so bufo so so it's actually so it's a chemical called 5meo dmt so it's a version of dmt i think like most dmt like that you that uses used recreationally is like rr in in dmt or in yeah so um this is um actually different compound like like even they said like this is actually less like that DMT, like normal DMT is more like a normal psychedelic than this is, um, just for what it does. Um, and it's just weird. It's like, if you go out to like Arizona and going down through like Central America, like there's just toads that there's literally signs that say, don't lick the toads because it's their, this is, it's their poison. Yeah. Right. And so, um, but basically this has been used for, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years, especially like in native American cultures. It's kind of like a, a passage for like boys to become men. Um, and you do this. So, um, but yeah, so I, you know, worked with, um, you know, two people here in Austin to do it. Um, and, um, it's really funny because like, you know, and, and I still struggle with this a bit, but like, it took a long time for me to get to the point of actually doing it. And, you know, they said, you know, it was all part of the ceremony. The, the medicine was already working things, which I was always like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm still a little bit like that, but it was one of those things where like, I, there were a lot of things that had to happen in my life for me to be able to actually go in and do the the ceremony. And so, uh, and so when you do this, so it's a, so it's smoked, right? And people had explained it to me before people talk about how it's like, you basically like experience death. Like you, you, you actually die. Right. And, and get through it. And, and again, even conceptually, it's hard. We can't, no one knows what that is. Cause if, if you die you're done right so it's like you're, there's we can't really the relationship we have with death is very strange but a lot of people talk about how this like any fear of death that they had is gone yeah like or, or it's like significantly reduced and so i went into it i mean again not really knowing what to expect and, and I, I had done the dmt before um kind of more like recreationally right and you know it's wild and whatever but like that's sort of what i was expecting going into it um but man like this was without a doubt the most impactful thing that i've ever done and it's crazy because it was two hours long but in this experience and and it kind of has brought me even closer a little bit to like this there's more going on than i can conceptualize in my brain because it took me to this place where 
so basically I, I did a couple of rounds of it and like the first round I you know, inhaled and then whenever you do it like you don't it's done like you never I never exhaled um I just fell back and in that moment like again words can't describe it but it was such a like I'm not there anymore like I was gone right but I was having this full-on physical experience and the people I was with like they were there was noises I was and it, their voices almost sounded like satanic a little bit but not in an evil way it just was very I felt very much in this different like um layer I guess of existence that was sort of timeless like it was like I felt connection like it's again I, I hate saying these things because whenever people tell saying to me I'm always like what the fuck are you talking about but like <laughs> I felt I felt connected to yeah. like incest like like people like in my and like my lineage and also like connection to like versions of myself because whenever I set my intentions I had to create these different versions of myself and they were there with me like the little like the the 15 year old Carter who was like gaining all of that weight right and like all these different versions of myself and like whenever I did it in the first round like it felt like I was in this echoing chamber but all of a sudden I remember I remember once I started to have some like senses come back there was like screaming and I'm like what is going on like there was like screaming happening and then eventually I realized oh wait that's me screaming like I was full-on primal screaming which is like hilariously like hilarious to me conceptually because I would absolutely never in a million years do anything like that right yeah. um but what it showed me was like how much underlying just like like everything I was holding on to with like anger and shame and things like just the physical release of it um and the second round I did um it was the full-on like I mean you can call it an ego death but I feel like it was more than that it was just like the feeling of death, like life, it's so non but like yeah. non-existence. But um, but anyways, I mean, we could go into that farther, but I know we're, we're coming up at the end of the time. So I'll just go back into why I think it was so impactful um, and why like I love those types of things is because it, I think that especially for someone like me, I'm very much a head type. And I think a lot of people are in their heads about things. Like we're so far removed from our bodies and how our bodies regulate our mind, right? And like after this experience, like it's funny how like I did, I don't have my life's purpose anymore. Like I don't like, it's not like it gave me all the answers, Yeah. but then I feel like this, my body and my mind have this interconnectedness now where like decision-making is, is easier than it's ever been. And like problems that are problems in my mind aren't as big as they once were. And like, you know, does that make sense? Like it's, it, it makes, it makes complete sense to me and it, because I've had these experiences, it's, it's just very hard to explain to anyone. And I, I don't think it's necessarily for you to explain to people who haven't experienced it because yeah, um, it's it's never going to resonate until you actually have been in that position or been to those places and experiencing mm -hmm. those things. Um, which is honestly one of the reasons why I, I recommend that people try and go into psychedelics with an open mind. It's yeah. very easy to associate things like LSD and DMT and psilocybin and even ketamine with things like crack and heroin. It's like people Damn. don't necessarily have like an intimate relationship with drugs. I hate to say it like that, but but people have maybe never been like behind the scenes in like the the drug world. Um, probably just lump all drugs under the category of drugs. You know, there's like there's not too much distinction there, but things like psychedelics, man, it's like, yeah, they can 
like fuck you up and make you schizophrenic and like put you into psychosis for sure. Like that isn't always a risk, you know, but like time they can open up just a different world to you. And they can, like you said, they can eliminate fears that have always plagued you. Like they can allow for that release of energy that you've been holding on for your entire fucking life. Like they can show you different paths that you can take in the future that you otherwise would have been terrified to actually do. It's, it's so fucking hard to explain something like that to people until they it, it, and two, I think with our friendship and like a lot of our, our, our friends, right? Like, yeah, there's like some, again, some goblining. It's like some degeneracy, right? Because you're also stimulated and that feels really fun. Right. But goblin-ing. also, but, but it's this moment where it's like, we're adults and now we're all children. It, it puts you in this, but no, what it, no, but in a sense, not like you're being okay. stupid, but you're, you, you, you go back to this childlike energy, but with people who are like adults and intelligent and, and these moments and it create, I don't know, like it, it, it creates this like a level of connection with people that you can't, I, I, I don't know how you can create that outside of, unless everyone's open to the idea, but like it puts everyone in the same connected place where like you can actually have vulnerable conversations or even just build levels of connection with one another that could never otherwise would have been there. Right. And it's, it's why like in relationships, like I am like, you know, I planned it out. Like I, an MDM, I, me and uh, the girl I'm talking to now, like planned out me and her doing an MDMA session together yeah, just to like have that. And it's incredible. Right. And then like, I, I think that again, you know, when these tools are used as tools versus like things of escape or whatever, they can be incredible tools, right? And 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 help us train our mind in amazing ways. So, I'm very team drug. And I was also <laughs> I was also very thankful that I'm I'm very team drug. But I also wanted to say just to you right now, like I'm very thankful that like my introduction to all of that stuff was like you and like 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 Ben, like friends who like yeah. things and do it appropriately. And like I'm just very thankful for that because I missed any opportunity to like fuck myself up, right? And like find myself in a bad situation which is the real thing right but um but yeah i just want to say thank you to that because you definitely you you got me into it in a very like responsible way that allowed me to really just have all the benefits without a lot of the nakedness <laughs> well just to add on that really quick because like we definitely have to go but um it, it's important to be around like the right group of yeah yeah like it, it's just as important as being in the right frame of mind and doing the right drugs being around the right pe- the right people and like having the right setting is so fucking crucial to being able to do these things in like a healthy way and a productive way like we've been lucky enough to have an absolutely fucking awesome friend group that it's all super open-minded they're all very understanding very comforting like we know that even if something weird were to come up it's okay because everyone has some fucked up shit that might come yeah. up at any given point right and like you said that kind of re- return to childhood or like infancy where all of your barriers are broken down but think about like the people that are in our friend group specifically our friend group these are all very high powered high functioning, yeah intelligent successful people and in a lot of ways like they're they're forced to be in control of every aspect of their life at every second of the day and that is so fucking overwhelming and taxing to think about but doing things in a structured way like this like you know a, a psychedelic ceremony like that allows you to safely remove all of those controls from your life and just kind of like sink back into, all right, this is who I actually am. Like, let's remind, like, let's remember who we are, you know, like, let's try and get to the bottom of like, 
what we need to be doing, what our purpose is, like what we're trying to do in the world and like what, what we want to do in the world and like the things that we value. And like, for me, it's always been difficult, but rewarding um, in the sense that whenever I've had like these very powerful drug experiences, it's sometimes not fun in the moment or like going through it, you know, but it's cliche as it is like you always are taught something you always learn something about yourself on the other side right sometimes yeah. it's not always good shit but like you learn something about yourself and i think that over time like you just start to really form a more complete picture of who you are without all of like the bullshit narratives and stories that you tell yourself over your entire fucking life that eventually you just become convinced of a lie you know like it's so easy to tell yourself a lie over and over and over again from the time that you're like a teenager and then you're an adult Bruce. Yeah. Bruce. Yeah. That's what it is, dude. But like psychedelics, like fucking erase those grooves, man. Like they do, yeah. they kind of like wipe the slate clean. And I think that's where you can really see the benefits, especially if they're done correctly, which I think that we should reiterate here. I'm talking about, I think the title of this, the title should be do drugs. Just don't be dumb. That's, the... <laughs> that's, that's going to be the title. hundred percent. That's really it. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, do you want to plug yourself real quick? Tell people where they can find out more about you. Yeah. So um, drop your email that, at, you, that you've sent me, by the way. Drop the email. You can tell people where to find you there. The email. Oh, my gosh. I can't even remember what it was. I'm so I make I crack so many grid jokes that I can't remember all of them. Bryce, they get stuck <laughs> in my mind. Well, I don't even remember what it was. But for anyone who does actually want to go where I'm yeah. going and not the the probably the porn site I directed you towards. Uh, it would uh, just at Carter Good uh, on Instagram. It's probably the best place to find me. Um, a lot of fitness stuff there, but um, I'm also sharing more of this stuff on there now too. So if you're interested in that, I'm I'm slowly dipping my feet in, in, into that a little bit to, to show more of my experiences there. So I definitely think that you should do more of that. Uh, just hearing you talk about it, I think that you have something to add there. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much again for doing this. Um, and we should definitely do it again sometime soon. Maybe talk about more goblin shit. Yes, absolutely. Hope we should do it down here in Austin. All right, all right, all right, all right. Fair enough. I'm all right. Thank you so much.